Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with Dennis Ferris, the founder and CEO of Dragonfly Energy. Dragonfly is one of Reno's startup success stories. They started about a decade ago. Now they're over 200 employees, they're publicly listed, and they dominate the RV battery market with their Battleborn battery line. They're well positioned to disrupt the industrial battery market and are a key player in Nevada's lithium economy. We talk a lot about the RV market, an area of interest of mine, but we talk a lot more about climate change, energy storage, and Nevada's role in battery tech and the new lithium economy. We cover a lot of ground, and I think you'll find this to be an interesting podcast. So on with the show. Dennis, welcome to the Growth Pioneers podcast. It's uh, good to see you. Nice to see you, Doug. Thanks for having me. Oh, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. You know, we met each other probably, what, about 10, 11 years ago, and you've done so much over those years to build your business and now really become a shining star of the Nevada ecosystem. So it's been, a, it's a real pleasure for me to, to get well, a chance. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. I, as both an entrepreneurial ecosystem builder and an RV battery enthusiast, it's kind of like, it's, you know, I'm kind of starstruck a little bit. It's great. You have uh, Battleborn batteries on your RV? I'm actually embarrassed to say that I built my own battery, but that's just because I'm a, a nerd and I needed to do it. But yes, I, I'm familiar. I'm, I'm very familiar with your products. Okay. And ultimately, uh, one thing that we've been very good about is, is educating people over the years on the benefits of lithium batteries, especially for, for RVers. Not that you know, that's our focus has never really been just RVing, but uh, that was definitely industry that took to the technology we were developing. And it and it's a lot of fun, you know, RVing is fun. It's super fun. And I, you know, I'm a really close friend with Lauren Smith. And yes. so he always has the latest and greatest. It's always. Uh, uh, he's got Battleborn batteries. He's got Battleborn. I would have Battleborn batteries. I needed a nerd project. I apologize, but. Um. Never apologize for that. <laughs> Not to me anyway. Well, so Dennis, you're the CEO and founder of Dragonfly Energy. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Like, how did you kind of get into this industry and kind of give me a little bit of background on how we ended up today? Well, it goes way back uh, because I had no intention of starting any company at all. So this was sort of a, a later in life career for me. I, I became a professor and I was a professor for about 12 years, an engineering professor. And I was working on things having to do with climate change and particularly the effect of particles in the atmosphere on cloud formation and light scattering and how their effect on climate. And eventually, my research brought me around to nanoparticles and nanotechnology, device fabrication, solar cells, fuel cells, and eventually batteries. And it was about, I want to say 2007, 2008, that my research started including lithium-ion batteries. I tried starting a company as a professor. I was at University of Southern California at the time and tried starting a company manufacturing lithium iron phosphate nanopowders. And that eventually, well, first I'll say that company did not succeed. And I realized I didn't know the first thing about running a company, let alone starting a company. And so I knew I had to learn business. So Dragonfly is sort of the next go at this where I started working on an aerosol process to make lithium ion battery electrodes. But this time I spoke to my wife 
and we decided to leave LA, uh, move up to Nevada. I enrolled in the executive MBA program at UNR and started Dragonfly. And that's how I kind of, you know, backed into being CEO of a battery company. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's great. I'm glad you got rid of your first uh, startup failure in California and then <laughs> decided to come to Nevada, get it, get your education and build a successful company. That's good. You got the first one out of the way. It's great. Yeah. And I did learn about some of the pitfalls, you know, that at the time, I don't regret it. You know, you always learn yeah. from your failures, um, but it was hard in California. It was expensive, you know, and I, you don't really realize it. At least I didn't on my first try. It was oppressive, you know, trying to start something new in that environment. And then when I moved to Nevada, it became so much easier and it was, there was just so much more access to the university, to business professors, even to the governor, Governor Sandoval at the time was, was accessible to us, you know? And so it is very different in California. You're just such a small fish. Yeah. I mean, it just, it does make such a difference. I mean, and you came into our ecosystem when it was nascent. I mean, 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot. I mean, capital wasn't well organized. I mean, we had a few programs, but that was, those were early days, but I got to say, I mean, people are hungry for, for opportunity. And that was, that was a tough time to be here from a, you know, economic standpoint, 14% unemployment. But that tends to be a good time for entrepreneurs, right? Like it's, you, you can take advantage of costs. And I'm curious, I mean, what was it like for you to, to start back then? That was a big reason of why I came here was because it was affordable. And, you know, the crash of 08 hit particularly hard in Reno. We got hit hard when I was down in L.A., I was one of those folks that got a loan for a house I should never have been approved for. And I was not in good shape financially. And so as my wife and I started thinking outside of the box about where we might move, the reason Reno came up to the top of the list was, first of all, we like to ski. Second of all, there's a lot of lithium in the ground and a lot of sun and wind. So it made sense. But third of all, we could afford to get a house and we could not do that in Los Angeles. And we had two small kids. We raised our kids here and, and, uh, you know, we were, we were able to afford living life, which is important when you're doing something as stressful as being entrepreneurial. Yeah. You, you raised two kids and your third kid, Dragonfly Energy is now, I don't know, is it a teenager? Is it an early adolescent? Like where, where do you think Dragonfly is in its, its life cycle or its growth cycle right now? Oh my gosh. I I don't know that I, it's not mine anymore. We're a public company now. So it's, uh, it belongs to, to a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. So I I guess it's, it's been launched in the world and it's out. I guess it's an adult now. It's an adult. But I mean, so first of all, I mean, congratulations going from really concept to public is something that very few companies do. So, I mean, that's a huge feat in and of itself. I'm sure there's lots of pivots and pitfalls and challenges along the way. I mean, it sounded like you started it with one concept, which was to build aerosols for lithium phosphate. That was the last company was oh, okay, making sorry. making lithium iron phosphate from an aerosol. And, and then it became actually depositing the aerosol onto a substrate. That's, that is the electrode that goes into the battery. So it's very fundamental sort of manufacturing of batteries is what it became. But I did know very early on even before I went to business school, that I wanted the company to make money while I developed the technology. So my original idea was to make battery-powered guitar amplifiers. (laughs) 
All right. <laughs> that was awesome. I was like, I'm going to have a cool product and a cool brand, and that's what's going to fund the technology. That was always the idea. I didn't know it was going to be RVs at the time, but at the time I, I was thinking I needed to get something out there that people would think was cool so that the brand would be cool and I'd have a product that people would buy, drive revenue, and then and then skim off the top to do the research. That's ultimately what happened, what ended up happening, but not with guitar amplifiers. Yeah. And so I don't know this to be true, but I'm assuming you are the number one producer of lithium batteries for recreational vehicles. Is that a fair statement? I think that is accurate. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, we're the biggest name in RVs. Yeah, that's amazing. And what was the inspiration for Battleborn batteries? I mean, obviously that's our state motto, but what was the kind of the original inspiration? So the inspiration there, it was one of my partners at the time, Sean Nichols, who became our chief operating officer. As I was doing a pitch competition, I did a bunch of pitch competitions. And this one in particular was at a governor's cup. I forgot which one or a governor's event. And Sean decided, you know, what you should do is call the product Battleborn Batteries and that'll make a big impact, you know? And that, that was it. It was just like wow. right before that pitch, he's like, say it's called Battleborn Batteries. I'm like, all right, that's what I'll do. And, and that was it, you know, came in second. <laughs> came in second for, in that pitch competition. I believe it was Coalition Snow that won that year. Wow. Well, it just goes, I mean, I think FedEx got a C minus on their business plan competition or business plan. So you never know, like maybe it's second place is kind of, uh, it's better maybe. <laughs> that was the pitch. So the, yeah, that was the pitch competition. We came in second. We ended up winning the tri-state governor's cup. That was huge. That was back in 2013, but the original Sontag we did lose. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just goes to show these early programs that, I mean, you know, those were what, $50,000, $100,000 types of investments. I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot, but at that, at that moment, it's very substantial. It's a lifeline. I mean, that's what it is. It just keeps you afloat. You know, it kept me going for another, each one would keep me going for another four, five, six months. And that's what, that's what you need. Cause it was, it was my own money. My, well, my wife's money. My wife, my wife is a physician. She was working and, and really supporting this at the time. And it's a risk. It's very risky th putting your money there with no, you know, sense of knowledge that you're going to actually get any, get any thing back from it. But those business plan competitions really sustained us. And not just that, they really did help me hone the business, you know, hone the, hone the plan and, and uh, putting it in writing and, and coming up with the the pro forma budgets and very, very valuable exercise. Yeah. Well, how did you get from guitar amplifiers to RV batteries? Like what was the, what was the shift? Was there a couple other things in between there? Or like what was the big inspiration for that? So the, the guitar amplifiers stuff, it, it, I started that idea back in LA and took it up here to Reno with me. Um, I started just playing around with tube amps and making them, DC battery powered. And then another of uh, the the original partners I had, who was also an engineer, Evan Humphreys, he worked with me on that on that amplifier thing. And we took we actually had a I met him because of, we had a rock band together here yeah. when I first moved up to Reno. And I was wondering if there was a rock band connection there. I mean, there you was, just don't pick amplifiers. There was. Thing, but. Yeah, that, I'm a guitar player and I love tube amps, but that's a separate story. But uh, Evan and I did something we called pull the plug audio, uh, back in 2013, 2014, we were making like PAs and guitar amplifiers and our band played off of, uh, played off of those battery powered amps. We were called a version therapy. That was the band. And 
we actually did sound for Earth Day for for a couple of years, you know, all solar and battery powered. Um, But the bottom line is that was really hard and the market just wasn't big enough, you know, and I, I did not really see a path to profitability there. But the RV idea, uh, I would say, came from the business that Sean Nichols was in at the time. He was working with a sales rep out in Indiana called Wade, uh, named Wade, Wade Seberg, who's now our chief revenue officer. So he's, he's with the company now. Um, but he was selling items into the RV industry, and he was our main connection to some of these bigger OEMs that we work with now, like Airstream and Keystone. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, I've been an Airstream owner for like, I don't know, 17 years. And the biggest problem with that whole thing is always the battery. Like you're always getting rid of your lead acid battery, like every other year, or maybe you go AGM, you get two or three years. You know, at that time, you know, there, it's just a fundamental shift when you think about lithium. And it, I just, I'm just sort of recounting how big of a visionary that was, because I mean, it was a big expense, right? I mean, you could go get a lithium battery or a lead acid battery for a hundred dollars, maybe an AGM for 300. And then a Battleborn was a, a thousand. So it's a big shift, but just fundamentally shifts how you, how you operate. And it feels like the industry is just now coming to grips with how to use more electrical power. This is just my own experience, but to have that, have that vision 10, 15 years ago, is pretty amazing to see how that's. Yeah. Well, it changed the industry. And honestly, anywhere where you use lead acid batteries, if you switch over to a lithium battery, it's game changing, game changing. So it's not too surprising that that shift happened. We just happened to be the ones to deliver that information, um, which was fortunate for us. Um, we had the connections and, uh, more importantly, we made a good, safe product because, you know, by now we've sold hundreds of thousands of these out to the average Joe who does all kinds of things with their batteries. And so it was important to make it kind of foolproof and safe. And if you come out with the kinds of batteries they might put in an electric scooter that catches on fire or something frequently, then you're going to you're going to have problems in that industry. So we were able to change the industry, not just because we provided a really good experience for the end user, but we, we had a product that did not incur a lot of liability for the RV OEMs. Yeah. And we proved it with the aftermarket first. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, cause lithium batteries are pretty tech heavy, right? I mean, they have computers in them. I mean, there's, it's not, it's not apples to apples to a lead acid battery. I mean, it's got like active management and other details and yeah, it's it's still pretty. I mean, it seems maybe table stakes now, but it seemed pretty revolutionary back when you guys started it. Yeah, it it, it was a little bit the wild west, I would say. You know, there there were all kinds of different things you could buy on the market and build your own, like you did. And and some folks burned their RV down, so I'm glad you didn't. Well, lithium phosphate, right? Is pretty safe. Yeah, I think you told me it was it's safe enough. I'm not going to burn it down. Hopefully, it's well. I, it, yeah, it's it's certainly the safest cathode material out there. But I'm not going to say that you can't make a lithium iron phosphate battery that you know that won't burn. It yeah. it will burn. There's still a flammable electrolyte there, so it's still important that you've got a quality product and a good design to your battery pack and you know, that's why we take good care to get our, our products listed and tested to, you know, to destruction to make sure that it's safe. I feel like I'm buying Battleboard batteries after this conversation. I think you should. <laughs> I just, you know, I have like 400 amp hours. It's like a lot. But anyway, it's a whole thing. Um, no, I'm just, I'm, like I said, I'm just super, 
I'm a total enthusiast, so it's 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 fun to be involved in that. So where are you guys at now? So you got about how many employees do you have? I mean, you went from three people like garage band style to now how many people are at the company? We're pushing 200, like one something like that. Yeah, maybe just under 200. But I mean, where we are now is we're not we're not just an RV company. You know, we really do things at at the fundamental level, the way that I always dreamed this company would be. And you say it's it's tech heavy and and lithium ion batteries are, you know, have a computer and a management system and everything. But the chemistry is fascinating and there's all kinds of ways to improve the batteries at the fundamental level that we are working on. Most importantly, that flammability I was talking about with the electrolyte, we are replacing that with a non-flammable solid electrolyte. And that's something that is is pretty unique to us. Yeah. What I love about that is, I mean, you, it, like you're clearly visionary, right? Like you saw the fact that you moved to Nevada 12 years ago because of lithium deposits in the ground. Like that was not on our calculator, our radar at all. Like that wasn't on any sales material. Like that was clearly something that you had vision for. But I, and I also appreciate your, you know, persistence, like building a successful business before you really had you know, you put all your energy into developing the next generation technology. A lot of technologists flip those things around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's great that you were able to build profitability before you started investing in the next. I think that's from my background in, in academia. And I, I got I got a PhD at Caltech and a lot of my colleagues started companies and were entrepreneurial very early on. And they were more successful than me initially and brought in tens of millions of dollars of venture capital funding to drive a scientific idea. And I saw what happens when it doesn't work and it's not pretty. And you often, you don't hit your milestones and you you could lose your technology. And that's why it was very important to me to, to actually have a business and have a brand and have cash flowing, you know, both ways. Yeah, no, it's, that's, it's definitely not the norm of how people do it. I think it's a great way to do it. it. You know, a lot of people get a little drunk on venture money and other people's money. And sometimes you have to, but some fact that you were able to build that. And now, you know, also the industry is in a very different place. Uh, you know, r- only now are we really talking in earnest about the lithium loop. So something, I, I want to get into that, but just that, you know, just that vision for seeing the whole closed loop it sounds like it was something that you you had identified early on well in terms of closing the loop i would say there were th- some some things that happened here that i didn't expect which was all the recycling so i i did expect us to be mining lithium here making it into cathode material and putting it into batteries and selling it but now what's happening is you've got companies like aqua metals that'll take the the, the batteries as crushed up black mass and extract the lithium and the you know the other metals that are in there and put them back into batteries and and that's that closed the loop right there so to be part of that ecosystem here in the state of Nevada is really exciting it's unique to the state of Nevada and I think it should get us some recognition nationally oh yeah I you know we were talking a little before offline about as an economic developer, you know, always looking like, where can we differentiate ourselves in the world, right? Like, where can we create a center of excellence? And for years, we're like, well, where's it going to be? Is it going to be in blockchain, you know, looking at the industry and looking at all those things? But I can tell you pretty comfortably, it feels like this is right down our alley, like batteries, energy technology, obviously a combination of amazing industry partners, but then lithium and just the whole, the whole community seems to be aligning around that. And I feel like we're just in the beginning stages of it. 
It does. And the impetus was the mines. It's it's because there's accessible lithium here. And you thought I was a visionary for picking Nevada. But the fact is the only operating lithium mine in the country was at Silver Peak in Nevada. Yeah. So there's more coming online now. Uh, but it makes sense that the nucleus is here. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you if you knew that lithium was going to transform the world of a battery that technology. That I did know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, there's a little bit of knowledge there that was that was super important. So you know, now you guys are the you're the industry leader in the batter, in RV batteries. Where is you know some of the other opportunity? I keep every time I turn around, I see some new. Like I used a battery powered chainsaw the other day. I mean, where do you see other opportunity for your existing product? I'm, and I'm super curious about the future of where your products are going. But like, what what are other opportunities for Battleborn? So we don't make RVs, but we do make a deep cycle storage device for RVs. And that deep cycle storage device could be applied anywhere you need deep cycle storage. So this, anywhere where you might see a lead acid battery. And some of the markets we've been working on recently are work trucks and heavy duty trucks, uh, where, for example, you need to be able to charge equipment. You talked about your electric chainsaw. If you're a landscaping company and you want to drive from site to site, you can actually charge your equipment uh, en route. In terms of heavy-duty trucking, you've got the cab that's got to power things like CPAP machines or air conditioners, and now you can no longer idle. So all of a sudden, lithium batteries is is very important there. So there's a lot of regulatory tailwinds where we're trying to eliminate things like diesel generators, eliminate things like idling, and still be able to provide a, a safe environment for for the driver or the user. Yeah. And it's so funny. I feel like you're like, you have a window into my world. My truck camper has a CPAP machine. I mean, I'm old, so that happens. And a a new DC, I guess it's AC, but I'm trying to get it to DC, air conditioning unit. Like all of those things, you know, the the goal here is to be off, off grid and not to be able to have, to have to bring um, a diesel or gas generator with you. So it's interesting how like these things in small ways are being played out in much bigger ways. And I think I hadn't considered the trucking market. That's that's mm-hmm. really interesting. But what you're describing is exactly why we went into RVs because we saw RVing as a small house where where folks that RV have learned to live off the grid and they put solar panels on their roof. Do you have solar panels on yours? Yeah. You do. So it you can you can boondock. That means you can go and park somewhere really far and and still be able to for an extended period of time run all your appliances. And so we. I won't say we invented glamping, but we certainly made it possible with our products. Look, I think you could claim that. That's pretty Can awesome. I? Yeah, I don't okay. know. I mean, look, you definitely made it way more manageable. I mean, I, I just personal experience, like I, you know, I went off grid the other day uh, We went, and I brought this little air conditioning unit with us. And I mean, it ran for like eight hours, but I was in the back of my truck in the middle of the heat at like a hundred degree and had an air conditioning and was all running off batteries. And like that. That just didn't exist before. And I mean, you can see it. I mean, all of the Airstreams, all of those things still have those old Dometic, you know, AC. Only in the last couple of years have you seen a DC air conditioning unit. I mean, that's pretty, pretty new and they're still super expensive. And that's but. because of what lithium provides that lead yeah. acid does not. Yeah. It just keeps changing. So, I mean, do you see other, I mean, well, actually, let me step back and say, I mean, clearly, you have a vision for um, environmental sustainability. Like a lot of this seems like at its core is driven by your belief in climate. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about kind of what what you saw there and why you kind of went into this this market. Yeah, it's funny that usually each time I do something like this, we talk about RVs for a while and then finally, what's the mission of the company? Well, <laughs> let's get into the mission of the company, which is actually not glamping. 
is to reduce the levelized cost of renewable energy. And the only way that's possible is if you have long-lasting and inexpensive to manufacture solar panels and batteries. And solar panels, the price has calmed down dramatically over the last decade, and now batteries need to follow suit. So that's why we're working on the manufacturing innovations. And we do want to see a world where uh, it's more cost-effective for utility companies to put solar and wind on the grid because they're intermittent. It only works with more batteries. More cost-effective to do that than to build another coal or gas plant. And, you know, that's why we do what we do. And we're demonstrating it with RVs. We're demonstrating why it makes sense and how it's possible as just as a microcosm for, for what the whole grid can be. The research that we're doing is aimed specifically to make a product that can be very widely deployed without the liabilities associated with conventional lithium batteries, but that are still cost effective enough that the utility companies will want to put solar and wind. Because remember, we're electrifying transportation and everyone wants an electric vehicle now, but they need to get that power from the grid. Yes. And that either means more coal plants or more solar or more nuclear. You know, we'll see. But we're hoping it's going to be less fossil fuel and more renewable uh, on the grid. Now, when you think about, I mean, part of what you're talking about is reducing the cost of the battery, right? And making it safer, right? There's, so you're, are your batteries based on lithium ion or lithium phosphate or, or something totally different? Well, lithium iron phosphate is a type of lithium ion battery. Okay. So it's just a different cathode. It is a heavier cathode than NCA or NMC, which is what you typically find in electric vehicles. But N NCA and NMC are a lot more volatile, and that's okay in a car, but it's not okay in a house. But the other thing is that they have cobalt, which is expensive and toxic and a conflict mineral. And so even car companies are moving towards lithium iron phosphate. First of all, I love that term conflict mineral. I had never heard that before. That's brilliant. I, that very clarifies exactly what it is. I mean, I think, you know, when you think about, you know, like you talked to N0, I don't know if you know Adam, he's the CEO over at N0, you know, looking at the overall uh, cost carbonized, you know, cost of your supply chain and like looking at the impact of it, you know, you realize cobalt is a challenging mineral and I, what do you call it? conflict mineral. I love that. That's, that's brilliant. So, you know, with your process, I mean, or what's the key, like, how will you know when you're successful? Like, what do you, what does, is it on a cost per watt? Like, wh what do you think is needed to kind of make that big shift? So we look at what's called levelized cost, which is the cents per kilowatt or cents per kilowatt hour, I should say, uh, over the lifetime of the device. So if you look at what it costs to make electricity from burning fossil fuel, you know what you pay typically uh, on your on your power bill. But what it costs to generate that is typically on the order of, you know, five, 10 cents per kilowatt hour. Now that doesn't cost the, it, it doesn't count the societal costs and climate change, other things, but that's, that's the price you need to beat. And so solar has come down quite a bit where you're down, you know, more on the order of a few cents per kilowatt hour. For a lithium ion battery to be at that level, think about a battery that costs about $100 per kilowatt hour up front, but that lasts 5,000 cycles. So the levelized cost is now two cents per kilowatt hour. So if you can combine those costs and make it at least comparable to burning fossil fuel, that's when 
you know, we've won. I follow you. So if I cost five cents a kilowatt to burn natural gas and I can generate solar at two and a half cents and then add a battery for another two and a half cent or two cents, I'm at four and a half cents. That's better. Or right. even cost parity. Cost yeah. parity. Mm -hmm. That's what you're looking for. And where are we? Like how, how close are we? Do you think, is that a 10 year thing? Is it a five year thing? Where, where, where do you think we're at? Or are you guys? No, we're, we're actually very close. Uh, and first of all, I will say that lithium batteries are not the only mode of storage. There's, if you look at hydroelectric power, uh, that's already there. It's very cheap, but it's not ubiquitous. You can't do that everywhere, right? Um, you've got you've got gravimetric storage, which could be very very cheap, like pump, pumped hydro storage uh, is very cheap, but you can't do that everywhere. So you can't widely deploy it. Now there's other types of storage, which I don't think are there in cost, like flow batteries, sodium batteries, uh, liquid metal batteries, I think. So there's a lot of technologies, but what is missing is something that is energy dense enough that could be widely deployed everywhere in, in buildings yeah. at what we call at the grid edge. But that is also that has that low levelized cost. So we're close because lithium iron phosphate actually can do about five, you know, five, three to five thousand complete cycles. And you're still at the couple hundred dollar a kilowatt hour. So you're not quite there. But on top of that, you bring that down, you also have to solve the the liability issue associated with deploying it everywhere. Because once you start contributing to fires that burn down houses, that could put a stop to everything the way it happened with nuclear, right? Yeah. So if you have this liability, then it's important to get over that. And so you can really enjoy the the cost benefits. And so for Dragonfly, really what I'm hearing is, you know, your company is developing new processes to reduce cost and increase safety profile. Exactly. That That's mm -hmm. what we're doing. And so we expect to have these non-flammable batteries coming off of our pilot line next year. So we're wrapping up our pilot line now, which can make conventional cells. We will apply it to solid state cells sometime in, in 24, probably early 24. And then we'll expect to have some some solid state non-flammable cells coming off of that pilot line next year. Uh, and that's being manufactured here in Nevada, which is just amazing. Yeah, with mined or recycled Nevada lithium. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the supply chain. So how much of the cost is related to supply chain. I mean, you know, I've done, I had a paddleboard business. I did a lot of business in China. I understand that the initial costs are low, but there's other costs. Like, I mean, it sounds like ultimately the goal is to do in that for the Nevada loop to mine it here, build it here, and then ultimately recycle it here and bring it back in. Is, is that kind of the long-term? Yeah. To answer your question, the, the material costs are very, very important. And that's why we've been trying, we're at least EV companies have been trying to get away from cobalt and nickel because lithium iron phosphate is, is cheaper, but then you still have to rely on the cost of lithium. And if you, this is going to be a, I would say political, not a political fight, but it's, there's going to be some politics associated with where the lithium goes because there's huge mandates now to, to get lithium batteries in every car. But if you don't support the grid, you're not really doing a whole hell of a lot for climate change because now you're building other fossil fuel burning plants. So we're trying to ensure we get our supply of lithium. That's why we are working with companies like Ioneer. We have an offtake agreement with Ioneer. So we are securing the lithium now so that some of that lithium will be allotted to the grid. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you're right. Like we can, it's great. We put all these electric vehicles out there and they're like, well, we have to charge them, but we can only burn coal to do so. That kind of defeats the purpose, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, So, I mean, it's great. They're efficient, but you know, ultimately you, you want to, you want a sustainable grid and you want the grid to be powered uh, primarily off of renewables if you want to make a dent with climate change. I mean, one of the things that I really appreciated about hearing from Redwood was the idea of they could recycle almost 98% of the metals. Is that a, I mean, in your experience, I mean, do you think ultimately that's going to, it felt like kind of a regenerative model. I mean, do you, do you see, I mean, you're a chemist or you have a chemistry background. I mean, how much of this can actually be recovered from a battery? Well, I mean, uh, to be fair, that is not my field. The, the recovery of the metals from the black mass. I know Redwood does it well and aqua metals does it well too. They've, they've been delivering us metals that they've extracted and it's, it's pretty impressive. It's it's important because it's not a it's it's a renewable resource. You know, it's not it's not it doesn't go away once you burn it. So that's going to be a very big part of of the uh, of the supply chain over time for sure. And plus, it's going to take a long time to get all those mines up and running. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really important point. Like I, I never really considered the metal as a renewable resource, but it really is mm-hmm. right because the metal is not really destroyed. So you just reuse it. In and then reform it with new chemistry, or we don't have to get into a, too much of a chemistry conversation. I just, I'm just, you know, like it's just kind of like this light went on, like, oh wow, you're right. I guess we can reuse those things. I mean, obviously, when you burn a gallon of gas, it's gone forever. When you use a kilowatt of energy and battery, it can be recycled ultimately. That's right. So, I mean, if I go back to what you just said, if you burn a gallon of gas, it goes in the atmosphere as carbon dioxide, which then becomes organic material and trees and if we can somehow make fuels out of that then we'd have a closed loop that way too so it's not it doesn't all have to be renewable you know solar and wind and batteries there's there's a lot of technology that can be developed on it i honestly think we we need all of it yeah uh but we're this is this is the game that dragonfly plays and i think we're pretty good at it i'm really excited i mean just just hearing all of that you know about all the different i mean aqua metals Redwood, Tesla, all these people are are operating in Nevada, which is amazing. And there's a whole consortium and a big, it's the first time I've seen it in, in, up here in the North where we're all kind of aligned towards this. I mean, there's a lot of new opportunities and this is still early days, but it's the first time that I've seen a lot of people really rally behind, hey, here's an industry that we can all get behind. And A, one that feels good too. I mean, I, I understand that there are some political issues around mining uh, lithium, but fundamentally this is like this is where the future is from my perspective this is where things are going and you're on the front end of it yeah obviously we agree you know it's yeah. <laughs> it's 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 a great opportunity it's a incredible opportunity for the state and and i think the wheels are turning and these consortia that are that are forming and the uh the the, the tail the regulatory tailwinds and the support we have from our from our politicians, it's it's all headed in the right direction. Yeah, it's a good well, it's a good day to be a Nevada, and especially when it comes to to clean energy. So let me shift gears on you a little bit. Like, what's it like to be at Dragonfly? I mean, you know, the culture. T- talk to me a little bit about what it's like to to be there. I mean, you, do you guys, since you're a musician, I mean, do you guys have like uh, Friday uh, Guitar Hero Day or something? And like, what what what's it like to be there? Not every Friday, <laughs> but every now and then we will. <laughs> I've, I, well, I keep my guitar in my office just in case, you know, but, uh, we, we do have some events here and there, uh, but, you know, ultimately at Dragonfly, we are working towards a mission 
and the employees believe in the mission. They really do uh, understand what we're doing and they know we're doing cutting edge work. I mean, obviously the, the engineering team and the R&D team is, is incredible. And uh, I'm, I'm so lucky to have such a, a bright bunch of folks, you know, pushing with the, the technology that I originally conceived of, you know, a decade ago. So that's, that's a great opportunity for me. But on top of that, everybody else in production and in sales and, and, uh, you know, marketing, everybody understands the mission and why we're doing what we're doing. And so it, there's a cohesion there that really drives people to want to, to succeed in the company. Yeah. And, you know, we, we do our best to, to keep folks happy, you know, and I, and I think the, we've been very successful at that. So, you know, it's having a technology company that also has a very strong sales and marketing component overall, I think it just creates for an exciting environment. And that's what we have. Yeah. No, I mean, look, and to evolve, uh, you know, as I'm, I'm curious, I mean, you know, going from a startup to now a 200 person public company, those are very different organizations. And, you know, as a CEO, like, what is it like? What has it taken for you to evolve and to grow with the company? I mean, that is definitely a, a, there's a personal evolution on that. Are there kind of any lessons that you can share with other entrepreneurs about your your personal journey as CEO? Because I mean, it definitely a, a five person company and a two hundred person company are very different. I, I would say it was only until very recently that I wouldn't contribute to everything. Like I liked going out and making batteries. And I was often in the R&D lab and I was frequently involved with, with product development. And when the marketing team had a, had a, a, a great opportunity to go out and do a cool story or whatever, I'd love to, to join in, you know? So I, I was, for me, I was always involved because I was, I love doing it, you know, all aspects of the company. And I think probably my enthusiasm for all of that spread through the company. But now that we're a public company, my responsibilities have, have shifted a lot, you know? And so that culture I think has had to kind of sustain, but m my job has, has become very different. And, you know, some, some ways it's, it's a lot more exciting and some ways it's kind of a drag because I do miss going out on the floor and actually making batteries and, and being a lot more hands-on there. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, just shifting from being kind of in there and then, you know, I'm sure dealing with Wall Street's got its own set of unique challenges. It's nuts. Yeah. Wall Street is nuts, I can tell you that. Um, but it's a lot of it makes no sense. A lot of it is incredibly frustrating, but it's a bit of a necessary evil when you're trying to grow a company and we're getting we're getting our sea legs and and it's it's starting to make more sense now you know at least how we operate in in this in this sea cuz lithium is a big deal on wall street i mean you saw all these lithium batteries go public shortly before we did you know your quantumscape and solid power and energy vault and you know there's there's a whole slew of them and a lot of them quite frankly are 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 more science experiments than than we were we had a we had revenue based, yeah. you know, they, they went out without revenue. Well, you know, some of them had some, but it's in terms of, of lithium ion batteries, we were selling a lot of lithium ion batteries before we, before we went public, but that whole environment, we got lumped in and I don't think that was to our benefit. And so I think what we're, what we've been trying to do is 
get out there and really tout the fact that we are a real comprehensive company with the technology and and very close to solutions while also having a, a healthy core business, having already revolutionized an industry like RVing. Yeah. I think that would qualify you as a value stock, right? Like if you have way more out there than the market recognizes, that's usually an opportunity. Right? Don't make me go there. <laughs> I won't go there. I won't go there. I just, you know, it, it just sounds like, I mean, there's so much opportunity in front of you. And, and But I am, I am curious, you know, like on the the decision to take the company public, there, I'm sure there's multiple variables to that, but, it, you know, can you tell me a little bit about the decision process? Because um, I know, it, you know, fundamentally it's about capital to grow, but, you know, sometimes that's about exiting founders and other things. Like what was kind of what went into the decision process for you? Access to capital was a big part of it. And being a public company gives you easier access to capital. Now, I will say the markets haven't cooperated recently, although we did just do a, a $20 million raise uh, last month. So, so we were successful. It's harder when when the markets are, are, are volatile, but it's still, when the markets are volatile, honestly, it's, it's hard to get capital anywhere, you know? So the decision to go public was largely driven by the need for capital to grow faster because we're deploying new technology and we wanted our solid state batteries out there sooner. Yeah, that's great. And can you just, what's a solid state battery just for my, sorry, I had to go nerd on you from, from, yeah. So by solid state, what I mean is we've replaced the liquid electrolyte, which is a flammable organic with a non-flammable solid. And so we've been, you know, there's a lot of noise around solid state batteries too, because some folks claim solid state batteries, but they still have liquid in them. So that's why we've stopped or used the word solid state less. And we've been trying to specify the fact that they're non-flammable lithium-ion batteries, which really does set them apart. Yeah. No, it's, I try to take my, uh, my medical device company public on like a third tier exchange through reverse merger. And it was, what I learned from that was it is a game that I did not understand at all. And, you know, there's a lot of people you have to pay a lot of money to that don't have your interest in mind. And as an entrepreneur, now granted you were at a much different stage than I was. I didn't have revenue. And no, I no, but, but still the same you know, folks that don't necessarily have your interest in mind. So you, that's why it's important that you understand the process if you're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. How are, are you, do you sell just in the United States or do you sell outside? Are you, you know, are you big in Europe yet? Or are you going you know, to Canada? I wouldn't say we're big anywhere else. We've, we've got some here and there, but we certainly are looking to expand as, as we have the, the capacity. It's, it's hard to expand internationally when you're, you know, barely able to, to supply the domestic market here. So, uh, and that's the position we were for, for a very long time. Yeah. And so with this, it sounds like when you, you know, like what will be the impact do you think on, um, this new technology? I mean, will that increase your production capacity here? Like what, like, tell me a little bit about like, what, where do you, where do you see, maybe a different question is like, where do you see your capacity in Nevada right now? You've got a pilot line, like what's your ultimate goal for, for your, your Nevada? Well, we, as we release the new batteries coming off of our line, we will scale. I mean, that's the next step. And the nice thing about the technology, the powder coating technology is that it is very modular. Uh, we don't need these gigantic drying ovens that you've seen you know, if you've been out to the Gigafactory um, to, to dry the electrodes. So it's easier for us to scale in a very controlled fashion. 
and we're going to scale with the market. We're going to scale with our access to lithium and our access to capital. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to do so prudently, but as fast as, as we possibly can. And so that just means you're going to put more Nevadans to work in high paying jobs is what I heard you say. That is exactly <laughs> what I said. Good. Economic developer dream right here. <laughs> I just want to say like, you know, I've been working with a lot of startups for the last 11 years. And honestly, a, a lot of people come in and we're like, Hey, we want to, we want to come in and we want to be the, the star of Nevada, which I appreciate. And, you know, everybody's company that hires people here are important. But honestly, Dennis, I got to say, like, you guys started and you are truly, I mean, the fact that you're battle-born batteries at your core, you are the, you know, Nev Reno's, like, startup success. Like, there, when people ask me who who has been successful here, you know, from startup to here, I think about Dragonfly. I just want to acknowledge that. it's You've done an amazing job in building what you built. Thank you for saying that. It, it was never an ambition to be the star of Nevada or anything like that. But if I would, if I would give any advice to entrepreneurs, the, the focus should not be becoming the biggest thing in Nevada, but it should be doing it like what you like to do uh, that you're, what you're passionate about and bringing something to market that you're really excited to see in the market. Yeah. yeah I, I, clearly, I mean, that you have a, a competence in it and a deep compassion for for the planet. And, and it just really shows in how you've approached your business. I, I mean, it's really exciting. So let me, like, what are the things that are you most excited about? And maybe a follow-up question to that is, what are the things that keep you up at night? But like, what, what, what are you most excited about? Uh, I'm most excited about the technology and bringing that to fruition because uh, seeing the pilot line and what what it can do is like wow that that's how i envisioned it 10 years ago but it's like there you know it, that is that's that blows my mind the fact that the technology was was able to be brought to this point that's yeah. the most exciting thing for me yeah i mean it's kind of amazing i mean when you have an idea like the, the thing about entrepreneurs is you can see the future you can see what it looks like in 10 years, you don't think it's going to take you 10 years necessarily to get there, but it's pretty amazing that like this was your vision and now it's being executed on. Yeah. Well, I'm a nerd. So honestly, my vision was seeing the batteries being produced. I'm not like, <laughs> hey, my dream is an iPhone and everyone's, you know, it was yeah. just like, whoa, this is so cool. We can make battery electrodes really fast and cheap. Yeah. Well, on the flip side of that, what are you most concerned about? I mean, whether it is it the supply chain, is it like, well, what are the things that are you most that keep you up at night or, or if anything? What keeps me up at night is typically day-to-day uh, -day business stuff. I would say there's always there's always something, you know. And but that's been true since I started this thing. There, I mean, honestly, if there's been such craziness at every step of the way, even when it was just you know five of us in the office to when we were at thirty people and COVID and you know tariffs. And it just, there's always something, there's always something to keep me up at night. Yeah. And so really it's just, how do you cope with that? Because there's always going to be something that keeps you up at night. Well, as long as you're the, the problems you want to be solving. I mean, obviously sometimes, you know, HR issues and other things aren't the problems you want to be solving, but at least, I mean, what it sounds like is, I mean, you're getting to develop your vision for the world. So like, I'm sure that keeps, keeps you going. Even that's why you do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. That's, that's why you agree to do something that. 
Well, do you have a, is there a killer app for the RV space as we kind of close this out? Is there something that I, that's your most excited? I mean, I keep seeing your 300 amp hour or whatever. Like what, what is, do you have like the behemoth or something? What, what's the well, cool Well, we product? did just, we did just announce a new slew of, of products that we are, I think they'll be in, in full production right around the October timeframe, but it's called the Dragonfly Intelligence System. So every battery, every component in our system is going to be able to be in communication with each other through this wireless mesh network Mm -hmm. that will be able to communicate via Bluetooth to an app. So, you know, the cool new app, which is being developed now is the Dragonfly app, Um, but it's going to be able to give you very specific information about your electrical system that, that you did not have before and that does not yet exist on the market. That's awesome. Well, I, as long as it interoperates with Victron, you guys are going to make a billion dollars or maybe not. I don't even know if that has to, it has to happen. It just but to be able to communicate with your battery, super important. Well, I got to tell you, this was, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm really excited to learn more about the Dragonfly energy success story. I wish you much success in the coming years and I look forward to continuing uh, the conversation with you. Have you been by to visit yet? I haven't, but I will be. I'm, that day that we had everybody from Edon, I I was out of town or something like that. But we're working on organizing something with uh, Startup Week. We'll, we'll figure something okay. out. But, but I will come by whenever you want, and I will look at the line, and I will be as excited. And nerd. I mean, you know, I'm a computer engineer by trading, so I, will, I love production. So I'll come out there and check it out. Sounds good. Well, thank you. Thank you.